Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're in the extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. Joining me today on the programme are Barry Guy and Joe Porter. And we're talking rugby. Well, rugby competitions and formats more specifically. The Nations Championship, Super Rugby and Auckland First 15 Rugby have all been in the news over the past few days. The Nations Championship seems to have been scuppered. Super Rugby's downsizing and the St Kent saga and talk of boycotts seem to have fizzled out in Auckland. First up to the Nations Championship. Are we surprised? The Northern Hemisphere nation seems to have pulled the pin on it all over self-interest and it looks to be going down the swanee in the Nations Championship. Maybe, Joe, if we chat to you first up, um, I mean, yeah, any surprise or, I mean, has it all been a, all a bit of bluff? Is it all, um, we've, we seem to have been discussing this whole sort of global competition for so long. Um, were we ever going to get there anyway? Yeah. Well, that's right. It all seems to have just come to nothing. And, and, and at the end of the day, what it looks like is that the money on offer to those Northern Hemisphere sides and their self-interests looked to have scuppered any deal before it even got off the ground. So it was probably hard to imagine it ever beginning in the first place. But we did get the Southern Hemisphere teams behind it, largely, the big ones, the All Blacks, of course, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa and other unions. But yeah, with the, the money on offer to the Six Nations outside of world rugby, we going either their own way or selling and, and getting some private equity within their within their shares or even just a bigger broadcast rights deal with someone perhaps outside of the traditional broadcasters. So it looks like money is won in the end and, and money talks and there's a lot more on offer for the Six Nations if they got themselves. So <laughs> scuffed before it got off the ground, really. I, uh, Joe, feel that uh, everyone was saying, yes, we agree with it and it's a good concept, uh, but I do wonder behind the scenes actually how many felt that it was going to start in year 2022 or whenever it was going to be. And I do feel that most nations do have some issues about the uh, whole thing. Of course, the New Zealand rugby have said uh, if the rugby championship is going to be expanded that uh, the teams that come into it need to be competitive because, you know, that's where they make their money. And if you have, you know, say a Japanese side, and as we've seen with the Sunwolves, if they're not competitive, then people aren't going to watch it. And, you know, you devalue, devalue your product somewhat. So, yeah, while everyone was very keen, it appears that something needs to be done in a global season and all those sorts of things, I do think that perhaps um, we are a number of years away from anything like this happening. The problem seems to be, doesn't it, that you've got, I mean, we have this sort of lip service perhaps really to developing the game globally, don't we, when we talk about... You know, yes. bringing the Pacific nations in. I mean, promotion relegation is is the concern that the likes of Scotland and England and Ireland have, have talked about. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, it just boils down to self-interest. I mean, there, there seems to be no real actual concern about developing the, the game because uh, they know that the Pacific nations, actually, if they got given resources, would quite literally, or quite more than likely, be bumping the likes of Scotland out of any top tier. 
No, you're absolutely right there, Stephen. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, yeah, lip service given to growing the game globally, but everyone's worried about their back pocket and what's in their wallet. And they're also worried, like you say, about what would happen if the, the powerhouse of production talent that is the Pacific Islanders managed to get their sort of money, given some money and resource to get their, uh, you know, their ship in order and together they could really challenge And You're right, they'd knock Scotland and many, many other teams, no doubt, in that Six Nations Italy included, already well below them out of the, out of the reckoning. And so... Uh, yeah, I think it has been lip service to trying to grow the game globally, but ultimately it comes down to people protecting their own interests. So where does that leave things, do you think, Joe? I mean, where, where, so where to from here? It's just same old, same old, well, is it? I, I, I believe so. I think it'll just be people trying to, you know, you'll, you'll look at the All Blacks trying to leverage more money out of when they play England. Uh, you'll look at teams perhaps trying to do their own deals within the unions, England and the All Blacks, for example, to set up some sort of revenue-sharing project. But more than likely, the Six Nations know they've got a, a product that appeals to broadcasters, and they'll just run with that and keep raking in the money. And the NZR will, will probably struggle to keep up, especially with the amount of money on offer in terms of trying to keep players in the country versus the the Euro in France and the Japanese yen. A lot of big money. So it's going to be harder and harder for the NZR to keep their players from staying in New Zealand. That's probably one of the main reasons why they liked the World Rugby idea is because it gave them a bit of extra cash. But now I just I just think we carry on as is and, and all this talk of a global expansion or global game, I think rugby just stays the same. And it seems to be a sport that's seen as global, but it isn't necessarily. And I don't know, rugby sevens might in the end take over. It's an Olympic sport. A lot of countries from the less traditional nations are putting huge amounts of money into it. The United States, I'm not sure if they're still leading the current World Series, but they're there or thereabouts. Perhaps Rugby Sevens is the one that the, the countries outside the typical home unions start to focus on because it doesn't seem like there's a hell of a lot of interest, to be perfectly honest, from anyone outside the Six Nations and the Southern Hemisphere powerhouses. There was an interview with the boss of the English RFU this week and quite telling, uh, he did say, I think almost in the second question, that the Six Nations is an outstanding competition, almost as if he was resigned to the fact that perhaps a rugby championship or nations championship wasn't going to get off the ground and they'll just continue with the Six Nation because for them it's a winner. So I agree with you, Joe, that uh, yes. I, th- I think things are probably just going to carry on for another couple of years yet. Yeah. No, that was that same interview too where he was talking about, wasn't it, relegation. Uh, if we, England got relegated, I mean, the chances of that are pretty slim, but I suppose if, you know, uh, in the, in a... In a it is a possibility in the, in the scheme of things that they'd have to sell up Twickenham. So um, you know, whether that's just simply scaremongering, who, who knows? But um, yeah, so uh, same old, same old when we come to the Nas- mm. Nations Championship. Super, super Rugby, um, I suppose it was pretty much telegraphed, wasn't it? The Sunwolves were, were going down the gurgler. Um, but I mean, it's a, a, a wee bit different there, isn't it, Joe? I mean, you've been in Japan recently. The, uh, I mean, while the interest... I mean, there's a couple of things going on there. South Africa, obviously, the, the biggies when it comes to the, getting the broadcasting revenue out of out of that competition compared to the likes of Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. The interest in the Sunwolves maybe was was waning, and the South Africans were getting uh, getting over travelling to uh, to Tokyo and Singapore to to play their games in the in the in the sort of length of time it took them to get there. So it sort of seemed seemed to be that that was. Uh, over only only when they'd been in the competition a few years, the Sunwolves. What what impact does that have? Well, I mean, you, you talk to people like Jamie Joseph, the coach of the the Japanese side for a few years now, who's trying desperately to get some sort of high performance system in place within Japanese rugby to, I guess, boost their chances of a performing at this year's World Cup, which of course they're hosting with the goal of making it to the quarterfinals. And B, growing the game in the future and setting Japan up to be, if there was a, world, a Nations Championship, for example, to be competitive within it. But at the, at the moment, they don't. They simply have players either playing for universities, 
not getting to the level of rugby they need or players playing top league in Japan where the gap between that and test rugby is just too big. So the tunnels are incredibly important and a lot of people in Japan, you know, rugby's minds in terms of bridging that gap between test rugby and top league. But the Japan Rugby Union in itself aren't interested. They think the system's working perfectly fine. They never really got behind the Sun Rules in terms of throwing sponsors behind it or making a big effort to get bigger name sponsors or boost the profile or anything like that. It's a shame the Sun Rules have just started to garner a decent following. They were getting sort of 15, 16, 17,000 crowds at Chichibuya Stadium in Tokyo, which is bigger than many Aussie crowds would get in, some in New Zealand. Um, and they were, they were, you know, uniting Japanese rugby fans for few and far between under a banner of one team, whereas, you know, people have typically had to support the company they work for, Tokyo, uh, sorry, Panasonic or Mitsubishi, example, Rico, whatever. So it's, essentially it's going to be a massive blow to Japanese rugby in terms of bridging that gap between their top league and test level. So it's going to be even harder for Jamie Joseph and his successors to make Japan a real force on the global stage because essentially they're, national team is, is amateur and they have to ask permission from these companies to get guys to be released so it's just a, it's a really difficult situation to, to really implement any kind of high performance schedule scheme which will lift or elevate that national team so it's a real blow for Japanese rugby but the JRFU simply don't care they, they think things are fine the way they are and they're happy to truck on with the big name corporations ruling it essentially so yeah it's a, it's a big blow for them but you know they haven't won that many games of Sunwolves they haven't had that many Japanese players within the squad because of course they're contracted to the top league sides who don't want to let them go the guys at university are locked away and can't come and even train with the Sunwolves so they've been you know there's been a dearth of Japanese talent there so it wasn't necessarily building their own players up so I can see why they've gone um, South Africa of course didn't want to travel they hold the big bat when it comes to broadcast deal and money um, within Sanzar and yeah, the sun will see you later, but it's um, it's not going to help. It's going to be a, a big shame for Japanese rugby. It's just going to leave them treading water and not really getting any better. Bill Beaumont, uh, Bill Beaumont, the chairman of World Rugby, you know, he's always harping on about helping, you know, uh, increase the level of the game around the world. But this is this is a big setback for. Uh, uh, what he has been saying, because as you say, I mean, Japan had that historic victory over South Africa at the last World Cup, but I mean, the, the chances of that happening again are going to uh, diminish because they're just relying on uh, half of their team being, you know, foreigners, New Zealanders, Pacific Islanders, the odd South African and Australian, and it's really not going to uh, help their game at all, as, as Joe's been mentioning. And so I, I really do wonder about the future of the game there outside of, uh, as Joe mentioned, the club competition, which is run by businesses. So, you know, I, I personally think this is a, you know, a huge uh, setback for Japanese rugby. There has been some talk, though, isn't there, about this sort of second tier sort of super rugby competition, bringing in the likes of the Western Force with uh, Sir Andrew Forrest, the, the uh, multi, the billionaire in Australia, bringing in Pacific teams into that. There has to be money in that, though, because, you know, otherwise, uh, if, if it's, uh, you know, you, you're on half the contract that you might get in a super you know, contract. Who's gonna Who's gonna do it? I mean, you, there needs to be full backing in a proper competition. Otherwise, you know, it's a, it's a competition for second tier teams and second tier players, perhaps. And, and who wants to watch? It? Who's going to want to watch yeah, it? Exactly. I mean, it would seem. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, go, Joe. Yep. And you've got the, the top Pacific players, of course, would would still rather be involved in New Zealand, Australian, or um, Super Rugby sides, or of course the top European clubs. They can earn a whole lot more money. Uh, a lot of it is about sending money back to the islands and, and setting up their family for life, especially in the case of Pacific players. So it's pretty difficult for me to see them 
even in their eyes of their own development, taking a step back in terms of money to go to a competition like that when they can simply go to Ireland and set up base over there and perhaps become the next Bundy Keys and earn some really big money. So, uh, yeah, I, I, and who wants to watch that, like you said? I, I don't, yeah, I'm, again, I'm kind of seeing that as a bit of lip service as well. We should just point out here that Joe's at the Waikanae Kindergarten and uh, he's not um, actually strangling any child as we uh, put this program to air. No. As far as we know. <laughs> trying, to, trying to stop them from, from killing themselves, to be perfectly honest. That's, that's the usual fear around the place. <laughs> lots of fun, but yeah, lots of danger. The, so, so what we're thinking here, the second tier competitions, sort of um, all, all talk and no trousers. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, again, a bit of lip service from Sanzar when these sort of slightly negative media reports started coming out about them axing the Sunwolves. And I think it was essentially just lip service again from them saying, no, we are about developing the game in the region and we do want to spread the word of rugby and increase the Pacific chances in our Asian rugby followers. But, yeah, again, I just think, no, they're looking after their own backyard. Sanzar, uh, sorry, South Africa, of course, wanted what they wanted and they got what they wanted and now it makes the competition a little bit more simple, simplified and it probably makes it a more appealing product to the um, to the television viewer. So therefore, you'd assume perhaps some more money coming the way of those three unions, Australia, New Zealand and, of course, South Africa and Argentina now that hold the, the sway there. So I think, again, it was probably just a bit of lip service. I, I personally, just uh, a few years ago, that Asia-Pacific competition, they used to have Japan, Hong Kong, Canada, the USA, I think, and, you know, some more. And I thought that wasn't a bad competition. And, you know, if they can get that into, like, a six-week, two-month uh, uh, part of the season somewhere, I think that's a great idea. But obviously there are, there are flaws with trying to get your players back from whatever clubs to play for your country. But I, I did think that wasn't a bad competition. Uh, one competition that does seem to have sorted itself out uh, in the past uh, week or two is the Auckland uh, First 15 competition. St Kent's, who were, uh, well, a bunch of schools have decided they were going to boycott St Kent's this year because they were uh, recruiting from uh, all sorts of places, But so as, as many of the other colleges had as well. Um, but they now seem to come up with, a, with an agreement. Um, is that sorted or or is it well i i when i first saw this i thought well that's a bit unfair you know the the schools with the money are picking up all the players but then again i was thinking you know you you really only got 15 or 23 guys uh, that are that are on the field auckland's such a big area a big catchment for for their top players and uh, as uh, dalton Papali'i said this week you know former uh, st kent's captain yeah he had this to say it's all crap, you know, like, if it wasn't for that school, I wouldn't have the opportunity and I probably wouldn't be here. So, you know, I'm always going to back them up and say that other schools just need a man up and play St. Kent's, you know. When I was with that school, probably hearing all that backlash, you know, us getting players in, it's probably made them tight as a group, so I won't be surprised if they go out there and dominate. Which I found interesting because, really, it, it, it is. It's going to get other colleges to, to lift their game, and, I, it, you know, it's, we're talking almost semi-professionalism here at, at secondary right. school. You know, which, which seems a bit tough, but it's probably a reality, especially in a place like Auckland, lesser, you know, Wellington and Christchurch or the Waikato or, or, or whatever. So I think, you know, you just let it go and, it, you know, Do it'll you know? probably, you know, First it'll set, rugby, set should itself it, out. Shouldn't it be, I mean, shouldn't it be semi-professional? I mean, is that what we're trying to, to teach people at that level? I, I, think, I think the reality is that it, it kind of needs to be at this point because, it, as Papali has said, the educational opportunities that often come out of it for for kids that are from uh, lower socioeconomic areas to attend these schools and some of the connections they can make. I know it's an old boys network, but once you're on the inside of it, right, that's a good thing, huh? So I, I think that 
if you don't put these kind of if you don't have this kind of a system that is semi-professional, when the top schools have have the top players and you're competing week in and week out against that, you look at the development of a guy like Rico Iwani, what he have achieved, what he's achieved at such a young age had he not gone through that system, the one A system in Auckland, mm. and then you look at what NRL scouts are doing, they're coming over to rugby tournaments for under 15s in New Zealand and watching the top talent from around the country, particularly in Auckland, of course. And they're offering these guys $50,000 contracts at 15, 16 years old. They're under pressure to sign because it's guaranteed money versus, say, playing for a first 15, being put in the Blues development squad, but not potentially earning any money until you're well out, well out of school. You can, and I think it's a better system. It's, it's looking after player welfare better. You're still in a school environment. You're furthering your education. Rather than dropping out of school at 15, moving over to Sydney, training with an NRL squad, isolated from your family, earning a bugger of money, not really furthering any kind of educational, vocational, future training opportunities, and then you might not make it. And what are you left with? So I think it's a better opportunity for these players to actually go through the 1A system and start that. And if that's not there, well, you're going to just get more and more of these 15-, 16-year-olds leaving school and heading to Sydney from the, for, to catch a, an NRL contract. And um, it's, it's not necessarily a great recipe. Most probably explains, too, some of the, well, pretty much the silence from New Zealand rugby over the whole issue, wasn't it? Because if, if the system doesn't, I suppose as Joe was just pointing out there, if, if, if it backs off from, I suppose, the current uh, way it operates, the NRL's going to scoop in and those guys are going to head off to, to NRL. So rather than seeing them lost to the game, this is poss- maybe a, see it, they, from an NZR point of view, they'd see this as a, as a better approach. Yeah, it's, it's not fair, yeah. as and you say. It's the better of, yeah, the better of two, two evils in a way. If you're looking at pushing kids too young and making them focus on one thing and the whole we're not sure about having semi-professionalism in schools. I, I, I get that. And I get that sentiment that it's it's not fair to poach players and take people out of communities. But it, but it, it does further, it really furthers these young guys' um, chances of, of stuff outside of rugby. Um, it gives too. them a chance. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. So I just think it is a bit, the lesser of two evils in that sense. The NRL systems are shocked by, by compare and the easy I can't afford to back off because they'll lose all those guys. My concern, I think, I suppose, is that we end up looking like the US, where it's still yep. only elite sport. I mean, it takes on to whole wider issues. But, but, I mean, when you're talking about just general participation in sport and kids wanting to or keeping them in sport, there's a, there's a huge drop-off with uh, teenagers after college, et cetera, playing all sorts of sport. But if, you know, so, so we've just become about elite sport even at, at high school level. That's that's where it, where it's heading, though. Yeah, and it'll filter not already there. Yeah, it'll filter down to other areas of the of the game and in the provinces and that sort of thing. That uh, there'll be inequality because uh, the local plumber might sponsor one guy, uh, but the whole community can't support the whole team. You know, yeah, I I, I do agree that it uh, it it is unfair, but um, interfering. I, I don't think uh, we'll will settle the argument. I, I think possibly they just have to have to let it go for a couple of years and um, put a few provisions in place, like they're doing. You know, you can't they're not playing their out of towners uh, for some of the games and that sort of thing. Um, but really, it, it's possibly just got to work itself out. Barry Guy, Joe Porto, thanks for the rest of your time. That brings us to the end of extra time for another week. Remember, if you want to contact us, you can email us at sport at rnz.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Pearson. Bye for now.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.